Welcome to the She Will Shine podcast, where we bring you the real stories of female business owners. My name is Danielle Price and I'm the founder of She Will Shine, a supportive business network for women. It's time to give a voice to women in business and discover their journey. Hi and welcome to the She Will Shine podcast. Today I am very excited to introduce you to the lovely Leonie Lockwood. Hi Leonie. Hi Danielle. Leonie is a yoga instructor and teacher. Yeah. at Leonie Lockwood Yoga and today is going to share a little bit about her journey mm-hmm. and what sort of led her to where she is now. Mm-hmm. So Leonie, we were talking earlier and I discovered that you, which I didn't know this, I've known Leonie for a little bit of time, you left school at 16. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was, uh, I kind of like school but I couldn't get the subjects that I wanted to do when I was moving into HSC. And I was probably a little slightly rebellious at that point, so I, I left with the promise to my mother that if I didn't find work, then I would go to secretarial school. So I went on unemployment benefits for a year and <laughs> hung out with my boyfriend. <laughs> Got really bored, and uh, my boyfriend and I had a bet because it was back in the 80s when jobs were really easy to come by as to who would get a job first. And I got a job. And you won the bet. I won the bet and then I really liked working. <laughs> yeah. So since then though, so even though you've left school at quite a young age, you've done yeah. a lot of study. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I really, I've always liked learning and um, I was also one of those people that always did my own projects at school, but things that I was interested in. So I um, had to wait until I was 21 before I could go to university and I really wanted to do theatre. So I had to um, audition and I ended up um, at what was called the Riverina Institute um, in Wagga Wagga. uh, back in 1988 and then the following year it became Charles Sturt University so I did an associate diploma of theatre performance and got the lead role in the graduation play and I I still really love acting yeah but it was um you know the theatre being away from home being in your early 20s it was just lots of partying yeah lots of um social life behind the scenes lots of social life behind the scenes did well at uni, but um, and then I came back to Melbourne and I went from being sort of a big fish in a little pond to being a very small fish in, in a, a big huge ocean. In a huge, huge <laughs> ocean. And so um, uh, just finding acting work was really difficult. Yeah. And so that was the reason you came to Melbourne, to find acting work? Yeah, well, I was from Melbourne, went okay. to Wagga Wagga, yeah. came back to Melbourne. Why Wagga Wagga? That's where I got into uni. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't Seems good. like a strange place to just pick off the map. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really where there was drama school. So there was the VCA um, and I knew that I wasn't good enough for the VCA um, and there was a school over in Perth and there was this school in Wagga and I wanted to go to Wagga with the intent of maybe getting into the VCA or NIDA later on down the track. So what happened? You came to Melbourne. Came to Melbourne. To Melbourne. Yep. Yeah, found an agent didn't get any work or what work was offered was like well you've got to show up tomorrow and I was like well you know I'm waitressing because that's what you do when you're an actor Um, you waitress and um, I was kind of like well I need to pay the rent so I just stuck with the waitressing and then decided that I wanted to travel overseas so 
went traveling overseas to Europe and Scandinavia for a year. Solo? I set off with a couple of girlfriends and we spent a couple of months in Spain and they went home and then they had the rest of the time by myself. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, it was really amazing because when I left um, to go overseas, I was going to spend two months in Spain and one month in Stockholm with a friend of mine and then I was coming home. But while I was over there, I was like, wow, what's the point in coming home? It's a long way. I'll just stay. So I didn't didn't have much money. um, So I had to find work whilst I was away. So I went to London and found some work waitressing and doing care work in a disability home. Yeah. So how long were you away or up? A year. A year. And then on your return? Um, then on my return, I came back. I started like a sort of a introductory massage course, which I really liked. But I also, um, and then I was looking around for university as well. And I was a bit like, do I go to university or do I do social work? Which is because I'd worked in this disability home in London, I was kind of interested in that work. And I was also interested in the passageway of young people. And I guess given because I'd left home and left school at a fairly young age, I was kind of interested in other young people having their their needs met. Yeah. So um, I ended up getting in to do a Bachelor of Arts of Youth Affairs at RMIT and so I ditched my massage course and I completed my three-year degree. I was, you know, you had to do field placements and I worked in some pretty hairy places. I was really interested in um, homelessness and really kind of hardcore, you know, in-your-face type work. That would have been quite hard emotionally. Yeah, and when I look back now, like I was incredibly emotionally immature myself to be dealing with some of the things that I was dealing with and, you know, young people with drug and alcohol problems coming from, you know, lots of sexual assaults and violence in their own homes and, you know, their acting out behaviour and trying to support them to stay in school and live independently as well. So it was really, it was difficult work. Um, was that an eye-opener? Oh, yeah, absolute eye-opener. I you know, come from a fairly middle-class family, yeah. so it was a real eye-opener. But, you know, also not that it's people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, it's people from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and as I went on, I did a graduate diploma in adolescent health with Melbourne Uni and the Royal Children's Hospital. But as I continued to work with young people, I just found that like personally just completely grueling yeah and um so i started working with families and adults um, providing crisis response to homelessness um did you enjoy it i like the crisis response i found out like i wasn't very good at long-term support um that i'm much better at having a problem presented to me solving it sending the person out the door yeah um having a particular task we were talking about this earlier having a particular task or project and then moving on to the next thing yeah 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 so i found that i was much better at that than um giving long-term support to somebody um and i suppose a bit like having a child you know having that kind of behavior and it's like wow i don't know how to deal with that yeah yeah Yeah. and of course you've got your own stuff going on yeah yeah so um 
Yeah, so I stayed in that sector and sort of moved around. I had a number of different roles. I was a tenant advocate for people who are living in public housing, assisting them not to be thrown out of their properties, um, linking them up with support services, drug and alcohol services, mental health services, where we could to, you know, sort of put the infrastructure in behind so that they could continue to pay their rent and maintain their housing because it costs a lot of money when people lose their housing. It's almost like back then, I think the figures were around about $100,000 by the time a person sort of cycled through the crisis system into transitional housing and then back into more stable accommodation. So it's better if you can sort of prevent people from losing their housing in the first place. So did you find that frustrating, like working within government structures and systems and all that chaos? It was really, yeah, it's difficult working. Like I was working for not-for-profit organisations for probably about 10 years. And, you know, our funding was from the government and it was rolled over every three years. Certain criteria had to be met to roll over the funding. So you never knew whether you were gonna have a job or the particular program was gonna be changed, the criteria changed. Um, So there was always a lot of, I guess, uncertainty around that. Um, Though, I guess then I always knew that I would find work because I felt like there was, you know, work around, yeah, Yeah. to find, you know unemployment levels weren't what they were what they are now yeah 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 so what did you do from there uh so yeah look the way we coped really was to drink a lot of alcohol (laughs) yeah and you know i was used to really sort of think about it we'd be just getting so smashed on a friday night that it was like we're not all that far away from the people that we were dealing with because many of the people you know it just takes one little crisis to just break you know be the straw that breaks the camel back and can happen to anyone and can it happen to anyone and i you know i worked in homelessness sector in in crisis housing in the eastern suburbs you know in hawthorne which you think of as a very leafy wealthy area we covered all the way up to uh, i think box hill and i was struck by the amount of hidden homelessness um in those areas um so yeah, it's very different from the sort of in the face that you would have in St Kilda. What you didn't see, I think in the east, were you know like families just sleeping in their cars or moving around from house to house or you know like the husband who'd gambled away everything and without the wife and children knowing and you know and then all of a sudden, you know this fairly wealthy middle class woman finds herself at the mercy of you know not-for-profit sector and government looking for handouts and it's like well there's actually not a lot to give and I found that um, you know just working in different areas I was in you know Richmond Fitzroy Collingwood on the public housing estates as a tenant advocate Um, so I was always around fairly inner city areas um, where a lot of people are drawn to because that's where the services are to give them support Um, but yeah but you know the compassion I guess that I had started with was starting to wane and for me it was like well if I can't be compassionate with this then how do you continue because people then just start to become a number and I found that I was changing in ways that was really confronting to my values and I was 
the more you know I had to say no to people I can't help you today or you know come back in two months time when you're eligible for a little bit more money like it just became harder and harder so how did you deal with it we drank drank yeah yeah we drank yeah and we partied and you it's know like two extremes isn't it yeah yeah so it was no good for either of us and so but my mum had always done yoga and um so i was you know quite familiar with yoga as a kid we used to watch telly and do swami saravasti on telly and some people didn't even know when yoga what yeah yoga yeah was. like but, you know back in the <laughs> 70s it was really freaky there weren't many people teaching yoga it was all black leotards and black tights um <laughs> And, you know, so mum did that. And, you know, the exercises that she would do, uh, you know, like probably what, you know, don't happen in yoga studios now, like, you know, practices of cleansing your nasal passages and, you know, stomach churning and things like that to cleanse and detoxify the organs. Um, So all really kind of weird stuff. Yeah. so and she she went to class once a week for probably about 40 years you know and um so i'd done a bit of yoga and i'd always liked exercise so i was and i dipped in and out of yoga in my 20s and really in my mid 30s i was so stressed i was really unhealthy very burnt out pretty depressed um and so i started practicing a bit more yoga and um, and I was like, I, I'd bought a property and I was like, I don't know how to get out of this. Like, how do I pay for this property and how do I get out of this field of work? And I couldn't see a way out. And I went on holidays to Nepal and spent a month trekking to Everest Base Camp just to kind of think. Yeah. And I, probably about day 21 of the trek, I went, I could work part time and study part time. So it just kind of hit you when you had that sort yeah. of silence around you, not the yeah. noise of everyday life yet. Exactly. It took a while. Yeah. You know, seven hours walking a day. <laughs> <laughs> could uh, you have done that on day one, Leo? Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I came back and uh, actually worked full time and found. Uh, remedial massage course that was a full-time course but it was every um it was like a full weekend i think it was once a month or every fortnight so you could do that while you're working yeah so i could do that and that went for a year and it wasn't like the massage college of my choice but it was just a way of getting into the industry and going back to something that i'd enjoyed you know 10 years previously before i started down the road of the homelessness um sector so I started doing massage. I then was seconded into state government for three months to write some um, quality practice guidelines. And while I was in there, they said, would you like to stay? And I was like, I'd love to stay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the adrenaline adrenaline levels had just dropped. There was no one threatening me on a daily yeah. basis or um, kind of smooth sailing smooth sailing sitting yeah. in a lovely office yeah. head office <laughs> um, so it was great and I got to work on some really interesting projects in state government um, I was the first person from the not-for-profit sector to move into state government so it, um, I was kind of a bit of a curiosity yeah in a way did that help you 
in some ways yes in some ways i had absolutely no idea of the process and because um i'd been at coordinator level i'd had a certain level of autonomy so but you know in government there's all these processes and sign-offs and it um you know and you can't always have your way and your ideas and i'm a bit outspoken at times so um <laughs> yeah that w- wasn't <laughs> sometimes didn't go as well <laughs> yeah but um so i worked on some interesting stuff and one of the interesting things i worked on was like putting together training for the not-for-profit sector because we funded the homelessness sector um through bendigo tafe to undertake certain training programs so i was like well okay I've been in the sector. These are the things that we need training in. So it was really good to have input in that. Yeah. Um, and then I was moved to a beautiful project of um, managing the community garden program on public housing estates. And so there's there's a number of gardens um, where the public housing tenants have plots, grow veggies, and some of them are beautifully successful. Um, so it was really nice to work on that type of project and be in a position where you're bringing happiness to people yeah. instead of saying no. Yeah, it was um, looking at it from a different perspective, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, and there's some great people in state government who really want to make a difference, um, but are often just stymied by the politics of the day of whoever's in government and, of course, by funding yeah. all the time. Was that frustrating? Yeah, it could be at times, yeah. yeah. But I was doing lots of yoga by then. I was, you know, going to classes three or four times a week. <clears throat> I was teaching. I started teaching at state government as well. Um, I had a really great boss. I was able to take a year off without pay. And I went to India and just studied yoga and traveled around India and um, Nepal. Yep. Um, Did it feel like after what you experienced previously did it kind of feel like everything was kind of in balance again slowly yeah slowly i was pretty sick in india for a while <laughs> so uh slowly things got into a, a bit of balance yeah. and you know coming back to state government was just it's like why are you asking me to do this like it just seems so ridiculous what you're asking me um it just seems so petty yeah and, um, when you're looking at the bigger picture. When you look at the bigger picture, yeah. when you see poverty in other countries and you see how um, people deal with that and the different systems in place. Um, and for all its poverty in many ways, there's such a sense of community in India and Nepal that I think has really been lost in the West. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just sort of amped up the teaching. There was a change of government. We moved to a liberal government. They said we're getting rid of 500 people, voluntary redundancies. All the people that have been here the longest time are going to be the ones to go. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've only been here for six years, you know. I was away for a year of it. And I thought, six oh, years is a long time, though. Oh, people have been there like 25 uh, yeah. years plus, right? Yeah, government job. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so it was i thought well just you know put your hat in the ring yeah and see what happens and the team i was working in i think there was eight of us it were down to three everybody else had left the workload was still the same um and this new manager came in and he's like what do what do you want to do there was a restructure going on i said i really want a redundancy 
like can you make it happen i don't know and then he then the next thing like about a week later i was offered i think one of the last redundancies and i was like in my head i was like well if they offer me this i'll go yeah and it was double the amount and i was like okay you got no choice now like you have to you said it in your head you said it in your head you've got to go yeah so i thought i've got massage i've got yoga um, so you kind of had a, pl- a vague plan of what you would do. Very when you vague left, plan. Yeah. I, I mean, I was teaching, I think, two yoga classes a week and yeah. massaging one day a week. So it wasn't much of a plan. And, you know, in the exit interview, they give you an exit interview with a psychologist, you know, and help you with your resume. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know, you've got to be really good at decision making. You've got to think quickly on your feet. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not me. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I'll be right. (laughs) She'll be right, mate. (laughs) I'll work it out as I get along. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a really big six months. My mother passed away. The family home was sold. Um, and so I, this was the six months following the redundancy? This was before. Oh, before, okay. before. So yeah. like my mother passed away in July. The family house was sold about two weeks later. Oh, far out. Just quick. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it was already on the market. Okay. But yeah. yeah. And then, so we had to move by the November. I'd been living with my dad to help care for my mum. And so I moved back into my apartment, which had been, I'd rented out. And... Um, so yeah, and then I left work in the December. So it was like a really big six yeah. months and life changing, huge. Yeah. And I was like, I yeah, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. But and then a guy that I was massaging with was teaching massage at a, a private college, and he said to me, you know, I'm going to leave, but I haven't told him yet. But I kind of want to find a replacement. And I said, well, what about me? And I done my certificate for in workplace training and assessment while I was in the not-for-profit sector but hadn't really used it so I did like a one-day refresher yeah, they kept, so it finally came in handy it finally came in handy there was a couple of units I had to get up yeah. onto speed because the qual had changed somewhat and uh, I went and uh, did a little audition for them bought in my acting skills and yeah. uh, <laughs> So, so I guess that came in handy yeah, too. Yeah, that came in handy. It all sort of melds together. Yeah. So then I taught massage for a year yeah. and just built up the yoga classes um, and then decided that, you know, teaching massage really wasn't my thing. Um, so I, 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 I left that. And so how long had you done that for? I, I taught massage for a year. Yeah. And um, I was doing a bit of massage on the side, but much more yoga. And I was much more interested in yoga because I'd been massaging part-time for probably about six years by then. And my body was not coping with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was having a lot of shoulder pain and, you know, coupled with sitting at a desk and being at a mouse. So the right arm wasn't feeling particularly happy. Um, So... I was sort of like, well, in when I'm teaching yoga, I don't have to, you know, it's a different way of yeah. presenting. So. so what what keeps drawing you back? What kept drawing you back to yoga? Just that thing when I walked out of a yoga class, just that whole sense of inner clarity of mind, body and spirit. And yoga means to yoke and it's about yoking that mind, body and spirit. And it's what you don't get from Pilates or you know a game of tennis. Like you get that physical fitness, but yeah. 
you don't get that sort of mm. kind of all-encompassing yeah it's that return to like that deep inner wisdom yeah um, and some study I just finished over the weekend they beautifully call it the source and I think that's a really nice it's sort of beyond the body mind complex and you know sometimes when we're really still and quiet you know it's sort of that inner intuition that arises and that it's kind of like a knowing all the way through to the yeah. bones yeah yeah and it's the I guess in practicing it yeah it's bringing your attention to it yeah and trusting in it yeah. yeah and the more you practice it the more you become in tune with it and the more you realize that you there's a totally different way to live your life yeah yeah so at what point did you think this could be a business I think um, at some point when I was I don't know but when I was in the public service I was like God works getting in the way of yoga yeah you know and but business-wise, I don't know, I think I just had to make it happen after I had that redundancy. I had that to fall back on. Um, when my mum passed away, I had a little bit of money as well. So it was like there was money to fall back on and I could just continue to just give it a go. And I think, you know, in the early years, I've been teaching um, nine and three quarter years now. So I think in the early years, I was a bit dog with a bone and not particularly yogic. Um, quite competitive. Um, well, there's, there's quite an abundance these days of yoga. Yeah, well, there is and teachers now. And oh my god, it's a very competitive market, and I think also it's a market um, that's taken on aspects of yoga, but not what I would call like the deep heart of yoga. Yeah, kind of bastardized to a degree. It's pretty much all about the poses now, yeah. and sort of a bit of. It's almost like pop psychology yeah. with it, and a lots of lots of fluff, yeah. um, to some degree. And do you find that frustrating? Some, and I try to work in places where it's not about that, where they've got more heart, more soul. Um, and I think one of the things that's really struck me over the last, probably about the last four years or so, is the importance of working in accordance with my values. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I don't, I realize I'm st much more in tune with my body now. So I realize when I'm not, when I'm making decisions that aren't in tune. So yeah. I think that's for any industry though. Yeah. When you start working for yourself, you start realizing yeah. what your values are. And when yeah. you sort of, you know, um, stray off that path. Yeah. You, I don't know how you, like there might be a physical thing or it might be a mental thing, but you know that you've done You've got to kind of get back to, to where yeah. you are and where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another part of the brain going, well, you know, you've got you've got bills to pay and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, how much of that do you sacrifice? Yeah. And I think it's about finding that own level of compromise within yourself. Yeah. And doing it the way you believe yeah. it should be done. Yeah. yeah. And so when I came across one of my teachers back in 2000, I think in 2014, and... Um, in yin yoga and he just explained some stuff around anatomy and I was just like the penny dropped and it's like that's why those people can't do those poses in class it's not because they're not trying hard yeah. enough which you know I'd always thought 
in the back of my mind, it's like they're really not trying. They yeah. could put in a bit Good more God. effort. <laughs> oh, and I, I've been to a couple of your classes now. I'm worried. <laughs> no, I used to think that about myself as yeah. well. I, you know, and it was really more about myself because I used to think I wasn't trying hard enough. And sometimes I'd be told by teachers that I wasn't trying hard yeah. enough. And it's like anatomically, it's just not possible yeah. because of the shape of my bones. It's not going to happen no matter how hard I try. And if I push it too much, I'm going to end up with hip surgery. So it was so enlightening and freeing. It's a deeper understanding, isn't it? Yeah, and just a beautiful way of then looking at your own body and looking at your student's body. And instead of having this more sort of discipline approach of try harder, strive, it became moved to approach of compassion. Yeah. And a place of just offering then a practice for people to practice as much as comfortable in their own bodies, a little bit of encouragement and push, but recognizing that more and more you, we need, we're always so hard on ourselves. And maybe I think women do it better than men in terms of being hard on ourselves. Yeah. So I think, you know, discovering yin yoga really changed my personality. And I say that when I'm running teacher training programs now, I'm like, this really shifted the way I thought about myself and the way I treated myself. I was going to say, so it now reflects on when you're teaching other yeah. yoga teachers. Yeah. 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 And, you know, just even in the beginning of running training programs and then how I run them now has yeah. vastly changed as well. So it's just this shift. And the more I continue to study and sit in some silence with my teachers and fellow yoga teachers and you just kind of have a greater sense of your body, greater sense of compassion and kindness for people. It's an evolution, like life yeah. is an evolution. You learn yeah. different things along the way which changes you and which is how yeah. it changes the way you move forward as well. And I think it's about wisdom yeah. of age as well. Yeah. You know, I'm getting older. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you can look back and you go, okay, well, I've pushed and I've pushed and I've pushed and that actually hasn't worked. It's just driven me to burnout. Yeah. It's driven me. And, you know, at one point in my yoga teaching, I got to burnout with that as well. And I was like, I kind of almost hate this now, but yeah. I can't stay away from it in some way. I'm ways. addicted to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I guess in running your own business, it becomes very 24-7, as you know. And so I think you know more and more i think there's got to be balance and moderation in everything and so i realize i'm probably a bit yoga centric yeah. at the moment and so my but challenge isn't that a good thing though because in a way, you're living yeah you, you know what's that doing you're living your practice yeah, that's right. yeah it is but there's you know there's this thing when you turn your hobby what was a hobby yeah. becomes a passion and then there's money behind it and that that changes your relationship with it as well and so that's been really interesting to work through that as well and have a sense of yourself um, value in terms of of worth um, not just as a teacher but being able to say okay well I have this many years of experience and this many years of study behind me there is something that I have to offer people and that's that's the, yeah. it's all about self-worth yeah, self confidence, everything yeah. which we all self love, we all suffer yeah. through, and try to kind of yeah. get out the other end as best we can, and encourage each other, yeah, as best we can as well. Yeah, and yoga is a, a beautiful way to heal, um, just slowly. And I, you know, I look back and I just see changes that I've made, 
and I'm certainly not perfect by any means <laughs> at all. And I still, like I know, but more and more perhaps I'm able to stop some of those sort of habitual responsive reactions that might not be so helpful and approach things from a more considered approach. And I think that's, you know, just something that we can all learn from as we progress in life. Yeah. yeah. So which, you know, you do your teacher training and you also run your yoga classes for yeah. individuals. Yeah. What do you enjoy the most? Or do they have different oh, elements? Just, just different. Yeah. You know, like teaching this And you do morning. retreats as well. So yeah. Is there yeah. anything that you love or you just love that you've got these different types of ways of expressing yoga? Yeah, I love that. I love being able to connect with people. And sometimes I think, oh, you know, it's it's a bit of a grind, weekly classes, you kind of drive for a bit, you teach for an hour, you drive again, you know. It's not a regular nine to five. It's not a regular yeah. nine to five. You don't see your friends because, you know, they're all out at night and you're working. Yeah. So, um, or you go out and you're like, got to be home in bed by nine o'clock because I'm getting up at five. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's finding that balance, I think has been a challenge, but then you know you just sit on the mat out the front and then maybe you help somebody get into a pose or explain something or you people you got 30 people in shavasana at the end of the class in a deep state of rest and you're just like i did that like i helped these people enter their bodies and find rest and calm even if it's just for an hour or 40 minutes or whatever it is and i just think that's so powerful you've made such a difference yeah Yeah. and if they go home and they have one good night's sleep great and then they can face the fray again yeah the next day refreshed yeah Yeah. yeah and hopefully with a few tools that you know maybe when somebody's yelling them at them at work they can just sort of like take a few breaths and go yeah i got you yeah 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 Beautiful, Leanne. It makes me cry sometimes. <laughs> makes me cry. Yeah, it's because yeah. you love it. Yeah, I love it. And I guess I love, I suppose it's probably what I went into that homelessness sector yeah. for because I liked being with people yeah. and I wanted to be of some sort of value and assistance to people. Yeah. And when I left the sector, it was like I can help people but in a nicer kind of a way. Yeah. In that's, a way that's it's softer on you as well. Yeah, that, that works for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it needed to work for me because yeah. as much as I really wanted the other way to work, it wasn't. It was just really soul-destroying. Yeah. Before your mother passed away, did she know that you were moving more into the yoga? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So she was, yeah. So, what? It, yeah, I was teaching by then. Yeah. But I was still working at state government. So when she was really ill and um, because she had motor neurone disease, she couldn't move her limbs anymore. But we would, I would practice um, breath exercises with her and gentle massage and, um, you know, and we'd play healing kind of mantras to help the passing um, be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful thing that you shared with her. Yeah, yeah, it was. And continue to share. Every yeah, time you do it. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She definitely inspired me. Yeah, yeah, made me cry. <laughs> yeah, made me cry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leone, for Thank sharing you. your story. I've known you for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. Been a few years now, and I kind of knew a little bit. Yeah, but it's so important, I think, to delve deeper. Yep. So thank you for thank delving you very deeper much. with me. Thanks for having me on Anytime. the couch in the she shed. In the she shed, yeah. So yep. thank you. We're both a bit 
teary. But thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Um, We will be with you again soon. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode of the She Will Shine podcast, we invite you to check out shewillshine.com.au. She Will Shine is the essential support network you need to grow a thriving, meaningful business. We can help you grow your network, connect and develop genuine relationships, be supported and support others in building and growing a successful business on your terms. Say goodbye to working alone and become a member at shewillshine.com.au.